Every story has a life and every life has a story. Today on the Love Your Story podcast, I bring to you Mark Asquith from England, successful entrepreneur also known as the hot dog kid. Why do I bring this up, the incident with the hot dog? Well, because it's a catalytic story in Mark's life that made such an impact that over 20 years later, it still helps him to find what he wants, who he is, and who he isn't. Stay tuned for the interview with Mark and find out how a sausage can shape your personal brand. Stories are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Mark, owner of Excellence Expected, podcast websites, and the 7-Minute Mentor podcast, is here today to share his story. I don't want to give too much away, so I'll let him tell it. From formative grade school experiences to successful businessman and international speaker, I've asked Mark to share his story with my audience because it's a prime example of the impact story can have in defining who we become and how we go about creating our lives. So, Mark, welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. So, hello. Yes, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks for taking the time. Let's start by having you expound a little bit on my introduction and tell them about the present moment and a little about your current business ventures so they know yeah. who you are and what you I'm, do and where you're from. Yeah, it's been an interesting, uh, I guess, last couple of decades, really. We've, you know, I've done a heck of a lot of different things, but right now I'm running, as you mentioned in the intro, running my own little personal brand, which is Excellence Expected, which is more of a, an experiment than anything else. It's a, it's a way of experimenting with tools and tactics and then very often what happens is I'll try things in the business excellence expected which then move over into my my main business which I run with Kieran and, and, and John and Kate at you know fire which is podcast websites and that's you know that's a software business it's a it's a growing little startup which is quite interesting so yeah I run a couple of different things and tend to experiment on on the excellence expected side of things and then migrate some of the knowledge over to podcast websites and also try and tell that that real story of what it's like to to run a business through my own personal brand. A lot of people get stuck in their businesses and, and you know, I managed to escape from a successful business, but something that I was bored of. So I actually tell that story through my own personal brand and tell the story of how we run podcast websites. So the seven minute mentor podcast, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I, I used to run an interview show actually, not too dissimilar to this. And I, I did 150 episodes and, and honestly, I just got a bit bored of it. You know, there are people like yourself that are just much better at interviewing than I am. And I just kind of got a little bit fed up of, of doing that. So I refactored it and, and, and moved to a, a daily show, a seven minute daily show, which teaches people really how I run the businesses. You know, I've really tightened in on the niche of it, which is helping people escape the boredom that they've got in their businesses. Business owners effectively a lot of the time give themselves a job. And then they, they build this prison around themselves, this lifestyle prison, where they can't escape that job because the business that they've created pays for their holidays and pays for their mortgage and for their car and for their kids and all mm -hmm. that other good stuff. And they just become trapped in the business as if they had a job. So I help people escape that lifestyle prison. And I do that every day 
through teaching them, you know, how I got out of mine, you know, I was running a design agency, got bored of it. And, um, you know, I was trapped in that prison for a while because that paid my mortgage, paid my bills. And since we started podcast websites, that was my journey through, through that and, and, and changing the lifestyle. So yeah, the seven minute mentor is a, it's a daily show. As it alludes to it, seven minutes every day. So a seven minute show, everyone can fit that one in. Well, so, and I love that. I love the seven minute thing because I know that if I just need to get on and I've got a short walk with the dog or something, it's just a quickie. I think you can't go wrong with that. Okay, Mark, let's take it back to your origin story. So they know you're from England. They know you've got a number of successful businesses running. Let's go back to the origin story. How did you get the name of the hot dog kid and how did this story shape your life and bring you to where you are now? Well, do you know what? It's, it's interesting. I didn't, that whole hot dog thing, I didn't even realize it was anything until I went, I went on a speaking, not really a course, but with a friend of mine, Brad Burton, he's a big speaker in the UK. He's a good friend, although we don't speak as much now because we're both really packed out, but he's a, he's a good friend. He invited me on this, this, this little sort of speaking course. This is before I even did any major public speaking. You know, now I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm keynoting here at PodFest and, and, and we're all over the place doing that these days. But before all that, he was helping me with it. He was teaching me how to, to be a better speaker. It was funny because he said to me, just, he said, stand up and just tell everyone the reason why you do what you do. And I wrote something else down. But when I stood up there, just this entire story came out of my mouth. I was like, where does that come from? And Brad is this big, brash Manchester Mancunian guy from the UK. And he just literally stuck that label on me. So the story goes, Izzy and I come from this little little village in, in Barnes, though, near Barnes, called Darfield. It's a bit of a dive, and it's a really poor kind of area, you know, and Izzy and I were, were brought up without that much money. You know, everything was a considered purchase. You know, we always have to consider sure. what we were buying. Our parents had to do that. We never really had much much spare cash. I think I was about 10 or 11, and I went to this school disco, a school that we used to go to called Upperwood, uh, which my nephew Josh now goes to. Went to this school disco. It's got this tiny little school hall. You know when you like get to 10 or 11, you start to notice like the opposite sex a little bit. And you don't quite know why, but you just want to, you either want to impress them, or at the very worst case, you don't want to look what you feel to be a bit of an idiot around. You don't know why at that age. You just, you've got no idea, but your body's telling you and your brain's telling you, do you know what? Somehow I've got to look half decent in front of these people. There was this girl that I had a bit of a crush on, and she was, she was at this, this disco, and I didn't, I didn't really have too many friends, maybe five or six decent friends at school. And we were all at this disco, we were, you know, having a good time listening to Michael Jackson at the time and whoever was out. So it must have been early 90s. And we queued up for this food, this just, you know, the classic school meal. But I didn't realize what was going on. I was just in this line waiting. Everyone was in front of me, all my friends. And I was at the end of my friends. And right next to me was this girl that I wanted to impress. And then all, all her friends, just total serendipity. I'm, you know, chatting away, not realizing what's happening. We'll get down to my turn. And this lady says, uh, do you want a hot dog? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll take a hot dog. So she gave me the hot dog. And, uh, then she asked me for 50p. But I didn't have 50p. Izzy and I were brought it with not that much cash. <laughs> Literally, she asked me for the hot dog back in front of everyone, including the girl I wanted to impress. So I, had to, I literally had to give this thing back which was just humiliating, it was shameful, you know, that you, you just wanted the entire world. At 10 year old, this was like the most soul-destroying thing ever to happen. Right. It was awful. So I had to give it back and I just ended up shirking off and not talking to anyone all night. I remember the school secretary, Mrs. Beaumont, she actually stole me a cup of orange juice and gave it to me because she knew that I didn't have anything. And she sat with me while I was just upset. 
it was, you know, it was a really defining moment, but I didn't know why at the time. All I knew was that I felt so bad, like felt ridiculously bad. And subconsciously that directed all my decisions since then, because I thought it was a money thing. I always said that I'd never feel like that again. And I'd never, money wouldn't be the thing that would dictate things that wouldn't mean I could, or I couldn't do things like the money side of thing would never be a problem. And that was a funny thing because I thought it was the money that was the issue. So when I left my job, when I was 23, I'd worked for four years in corporate. When I left that job, I flagged my way from like a 16 grand a year salary. At 23, ended up doing freelance contracts and earning 130, 140K, um, sometimes up to 200K a year at 23, 24 years old. That's a big jump from 16. It's a little little bit of a jump. Um, (laughs) But... The money didn't really matter. And that's what was really interesting because I thought that hot dog story catalyzed this, this notion of money being a thing. And actually, I was earning you know, between 120 and 200K, depending on the contract per year. Did it for two years. And I quit doing that at 25 to set my own business up, to go back to not having any money, <laughs> to go back to not having anything and working my ass off. And the reason was the hot dog story didn't catalyze a relationship with money. It catalyzed a relationship with control insofar as that woman that took the hot dog off me she had control over me. Money mm. was just the middleman. Money was just a symptom. The actual disease was control. And I think I do. I do think control is a massive thing. So that that was the hot dog story, and that's what it. That's what the effect that it had on me. Although I didn't realize that until what eleven years into running successful businesses, which was very odd. Isn't that interesting? Well, and it's great and powerful that you did come to eventually realize that one of the things that I do in my in-person workshop, it's called the Story Launchpad Workshop, is working with business people to help them find their stories, to help them find their hot dog stories, which not only helps them understand why and where they're coming from and where they're going, but also helps them to communicate that to their audience or their customer because that makes them real and relatable to the people that they're wanting to interact with. And I think your hot dog story really does that because it says, it it shares with them, this is the kind of person you are and this is what you're going to work for. And not only are you invested in what you're doing and making it successful, but it's not just, oh, hey, I think I'll be a businessman. It is actually really deep seated. And you're coming from a place of where this has to work for you because there's deep reason behind the creation of it. And that actually makes you more trustworthy as a business partner and businessman because I know as a client and customer of yours, once I understand this story, that you're going to be set on making this work for you and not letting me down because you want to have the control that owning your own business creates for you. It's not necessarily I will make this work for me. It's actually all I do is just make sure that any decision that I make is is based on how I want to feel. Like Mm -hmm. I I don't want anyone to be controlling any aspect of my life. I'm, I'm very happy to work with people and let people in, but they can't control it like a job controls you like why would you waste eight hours a day with people that you're thrown together with um, there's a quote on the uk office the very very last scene in the uk office which i'm not going to try and paraphrase but i think it sums it up perfectly I, you know get a get a link in the show notes because it really is really good um and it, it's just the notion that you just thrust together with random people if you if you choose to keep a job which is fine if that's what you want to do but you are you are you have no control over the people that you thrust together with. I think from the, if you look at the businesses that I've ever created, like podcast websites, mm-hmm. actually, our goal is 
to do the same thing for podcasters as what I do for myself and what Kieran does for himself, which is not make podcasters feel like they don't have the control. Like everyone, mm. when they start the podcast, feels so stymied and, and, and struggles so much with how do I build all this technology? Like that is technology having the control of you and stopping you sharing what you want to share. So Kieran and I and, and, and John, Kate and Izzy and Ramona, we take that away. So we, we actually help people kind of fulfill what we want to fulfill, which is having some control back. You know, why should you be dictated to just because you don't have the same knowledge of technology as someone else? Like that's a very unfair world. Well, see, see how your story defines that. Not only does it define the business that you create for yourself, but it also defines the businesses that you're helping other people create. And all of that comes from your original story. That's, I mean, that's the beauty of it from my perspective is the recognition of the power of story and the recognition of story on its own. Yeah, it's, you know, I totally agree with that. The second that I decided to quit my job, this is no word of a lie, I walked in, I got a new job in Sheffield. Um, so I'll actually, I'll rewind it. I used to work in corporate in Leeds, which is a town or a city in, in, in New Yorkshire. And I was working for like 15K. I got the offer of the job at 16K in Sheffield. And I was excited about it. I quit my job up in Leeds, started this new job in Sheffield, thinking, oh, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to get to do some awesome different stuff. And I got there on day one, and they got me doing the same crap that I was doing at my old job. And I was like, wait a sec. I'm selling my time here at 16 grand a year and doing stuff that bores me and doesn't fulfill me. My grandma always said, she said it to me on Saturday, um, you always get bored. You get bored really easily. You know, you like to be um, thinking and, and, and doing things. And... I made the decision without even making a decision. I literally, I walked in, sat down, saw how great it was, got back up again, walked to Graham, who was the manager, and said, Graham, that's it, I'm done, I'm never coming back. <laughs> and I didn't even make the decision, honestly. And I rang my mum, I remember it vividly, walking down to Sheffield train station with my mum. She thought I was crazy. And then I rang my dad, and he was like, nice work, what are you doing tomorrow? I could do a hand carrying some bricks. So I was like, all right. <laughs> so so every, everybody has a life path, and you have you have your life path and your hero's journey, right? We all embark on that. So when we start turning this around and looking at it from story archetype perspective, what do you feel has been the biggest dragon that you've had to slay getting from the hot dog kid incident to here and now? I guess a play on imposter syndrome. So this idea that it's all right to be yourself. You're always walking a fine line in business. Everyone tells you we're taught to be professional and professionalism is just rubbish. Because you can't be in business or have a job without being professional. It's physically impossible to do that. You won't last long if you don't have the basics of integrity and honesty and just doing the right thing at the right time. Like that's just all professionalism is. There's nothing special to it. But we're told to market professionalism. We're told to be fake professional. We're told that we can't talk about the fact we've got a dog and we've got the crazy little nephews and a niece that will not <laughs> shut up. And just that you're not allowed to share that you like DC comics. We're told that we're not allowed to do that. We've got to be professional. So that's, that's definitely the biggest dragon. That's why my first business failed because I was marketing like a professional. Second, it failed. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to be myself. Then it rocketed. Um, so that's the biggest dragon. I think we're all taught that we've got to be in one box between nine to five and then another box from 5 p.m. Until, until we go back to work the next day. And it's ridiculous. It's not how the world works these days. It's insane. Well, I, I really like that you bring that up because I, I'm just such a fan of authenticity. I'm such a fan of the realness of people and the variety of gifts and things that they have. And I don't think you really ever connect with people until you get into those vulnerable spaces of 
who, who you are and what you like and what makes you different and all your quirkiness. So I love the fact that the way business is being done now is absolutely more personal and more real. But I also love the idea that it is a biggest dragon because it feels like a conquerable dragon and also a dragon that once you conquer is so freeing. Like there's a big payoff for slaying that dragon. Hugely, hugely, completely. And just a note on that word authenticity as well. Everyone's, in my opinion, is doing that wrong. Authenticity, you've got to be very careful about. You can't strive to be authentic. You can't. (laughs) Everyone's trying to do that. And everyone's doing, but what everyone's doing is like, this has become, authenticity has become the new professionalism. It's it's 90% not accurate. You know, people are being their, their authentic selves by, writing things that are a bit controversial or contrarian on Facebook. Like that's not being authentic. That's just being, like, it's just, you're just doing it for the sake of it. So many people are trying to be authentic, but don't know what it means. To me, I'm exactly the same with everyone. doesn't matter if I met the queen. I would be exactly, she'd get the same jokes that I tell her. <laughs> and they would all, everyone gets the same. Whether I'm on interviews, I swear exactly the same amount as, as when I'm to my mum as I, I swear to Kieran, you know, I'm, I'm really bad for that. And it's just me. It's just how I am. And I, I, I make the same stories and treat everyone exactly the same. And that, I think, is what authenticity is. It's, it's not being divisive for the sake of being divisive. It's not being, quote, unquote, authentic just to be contrarian or to be oscillating and pulling other people down. Like I see people, entrepreneurs, and I hate the word entrepreneur. You know, I see people online who have not made a penny calling themselves entrepreneurs and, and, and really slating people who are still doing the nine to five. And I'm just thinking, what are you doing? Like, as long as people are happy doing the nine to five, then that's fine. If they're not happy, help them. Don't slate them. Let's look at the next archetype. So the herald in a story. That's someone who brings you the call to action. So like in um, The Hobbit. You have um, Gandalf who brings the call to action to Bilbo and it starts him off on a great adventure. So who or what have been the heralds in your story? It's a good question, actually. Who's my Obi-Wan Kenobi? That's a good question. <laughs> I don't, there's a few of them, actually, as you look back through life. But I think if I look back, maybe two or three pivot points. I think probably the first one when I quit my job was probably my dad because he was like, Everyone else was a bit scared of it, like that. My mum and my grandma they were like, "Well, it's a bit dangerous." And my dad was just, "Yeah, crack on. It'll be fine. Just, just let's, let's just try doing this stuff because it'll be fun." So he he really shepherded me a little bit there, and he was the bearer of the way. He, he turned up at, at the gate and said, "Let's go this way." And then I think probably the guys that I set up the agency hacksaw with Don and Mark, they were much older than me, and they were very clear on, "Look, let's just try this thing." at this pivot point in your life. And we did, we did well with it. And then if you skip forward another five or six years to maybe call it three, four years ago, probably every podcaster I came across who said it's all right to just, you know, share yourself and be yourself because that led to podcast websites and the excellence expected stuff. So I think there's been, mm. do you think there's been three sets of them as I look backwards? I like that. Cool. Tell me about the shadow self. So this is another archetype where the hero himself has his dark side. And that's the part of the hero that gets to be redeemed or harnessed or, you know, controlled by the hero himself. So what have been the internal struggles that come from within that, you know, maybe just one that you felt like has been pivotal in helping you succeed or moving you forward in your story? Yeah, good question. So this is, uh, this is Luke battling with his dark side. All right. This is interesting. We're making some Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. So I think 
I think for me, it's always falling back on your default behavior. Um, you know, you're always, like I said, I come from this really kind of small little village where everyone's, everyone's just bothered about gossip and people and what other people are doing. And I think, you know, my default behavior was, was instilled into me in a very, at a very young age, which is always to worry about the things that don't matter. Mm. Like me and my mum have some serious arguments about it. You know, she's, she's bothered about people, what people think, you know, what they think of her and what they think of, of, of situations. And I think that is my default behavior. And I'm always like, nah, it doesn't matter. You just do what you want to make you happy. And as long as you're not being too much of a tool with people, you should be fine. And I think that's the big thing is, is not falling back on whatever the default behavior is that you've got that you know is not productive. That's certainly my biggest, um, biggest issue, I think. Okay, there was a, an episode that we did earlier on um, breaking bad and breaking bad habits. And it was following this concept that we have triggers, right? We have things that we automatically fall back on that we go to. And if we want to change those, first of all, we have to recognize what they are. And then we have to recognize what our default response to those are. And then we get to insert, okay, when I do this, how do I actually want to respond instead? And then repeatedly going back and actively readjusting and that's how you actually change a habit so neat that you brought that up because you know this is an opportunity to talk about by how to change the habits of the shadow self and overcome that shadow self so very cool yeah it's, it's, it's certainly a very interesting one you know understand you said understanding what your behaviors are I and mean, really mindful of them um, and, and you've got to you've got to be continually fighting that as well because you will have some bad days you know mm-hmm. if you go through any kind of um, any emotional work or anything that's particularly bad in business, you're going to fall back on those behaviors, which you've got to be super careful of. But as long as you're aware of them, even if you have a cheeky little lapse and you do drop into it, as long as you're aware that that thing has happened, um, you'll, you'll always keep moving forward. Yeah. Well, this the book that we got that from is Michael Bengay Stainer's book on listen more, say, say less, listen more. Um, it's about coaching. And that was kind of the basis for that. How, how do you change those habits? But that's exactly what he was saying is you just plan ahead of time. You know, you, you can't start out on a, on a behavior changing journey and get upset the first time that you fall back and, and do the poor behavior again. You're just simply going to. So you go into that knowing that there are going to be days and there are going to be times that you're going to fall back and, you know, not not keep the diet and, you know, eat the piece of cheesecake or whatever it is. And you don't beat yourself up and you don't give up the quest. You make an acknowledgement for that at the beginning that, okay, that's going to happen. And when that does happen, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm, and you have a plan and you move forward and you keep um, working past that shadow self and it matters to you because you're trying to overcome that shadow self on your hero's journey which is you know really the quest of the hero's journey it's always more about ourselves than getting to a particular place you know we have to overcome ourselves more than we have to overcome anything else you know yeah definitely and one of the biggest things that's helped with that is, is just keeping a, a good solid journal or diary I think that keeps you on track you know if you physically got to write down these things during the day you become more aware of them as you're mm. you're actually doing them so I, I do i do recommend that to anyone that's that's in fact i just recommend that to anyone i think everyone would benefit from doing that it's a great idea okay so one last one last archetype here the threshold guardian these are the the things the people the voices whatever it is that pop up to test how badly you want what's on the other side of 
that obstacle. So the troll that's, you know, monitoring the bridge that the billy goats can't get across to get to the the other side to get the sunshine and the deep grass and enjoy that. So can you share with us one of your threshold guardians and how you got around it? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think that actually just comes every day in business. I know that sounds weird, but you do have challenges that, that come up every day and when it's in, you, you, you've got to deal with them. You know, things happen every single day in business that are the troll on the bridge and you've got to get past it and keep moving because it's, there are so many days when you think, do you know what? It'd be easier to have a job. Like, I wish I could just turn this brain off or <laughs> I wish I could go home and not have to think or I wish I didn't have to check my emails or, you know, there's all sorts of little things like that that crop up and that happens a heck of a lot in business. It does. But you just, you choose that lifestyle because, you know, like I said, when we were working on the academy, Kieran's working on, on the, the importing of you guys as podcast web, websites members into the academy. As we speak, I'm looking at him now. Mm -hmm. I know that we'll have another week and a half, two weeks of it been tough, you know, really been hard. But actually, you know, we're sat here doing it in Florida, looking at the sunshine. <laughs> these are the things that keep you on track. You've got, to, you've got to appreciate the little things. So I think those, those daily challenges are the trolls on the bridges. That those, you know, those little things where you think, you know what, if I had a job, I wouldn't have to handle this kind of thing. But you, you, if you if you lose sight of the bigger picture, then those things are going to get on top of you. So I think that I think that's the big thing that people often forget, is that every day you're going to come up with these things, and it's just about conditioning yourself to understand why you're doing it. Yeah. So so let me ask you this, and this is one of the things that I find interesting about the threshold guardians, and from a a story archetype perspective, is they play a very specific role. They play the role of challenging the hero on his journey to find out how badly he wants what is on the other side of that challenge. It's almost like the, you know, the, the person who's going to take the toll repeatedly, you know, for, from the hero as he comes along to see if he actually deserves it. You know, I mean, it's not mm -hmm. like you can just head out on the hero's journey that it's going, you know, you're going to kill a dragon or two and then you're going to get there. But along the way, there are, these threshold guardians and they're, they're challenging almost if you deserve to get where you're trying to go. So you're saying that these come up in an everyday sense. And I, I agree with you. The threshold guardians do pop up really, really regularly. What's the importance of that role? Do you think in making the hero strong enough and successful enough and taking him or her to the place where they can actually claim the crown, where they can actually feel like they're the hero? What's the importance of the threshold guardian? Well, I think it becomes easy otherwise. I think if you, you've got to have something to challenge you. Most people who set out, especially in business, they actually want to be challenged because that's the fulfillment. That's where that comes from, you know? Mm. So it's, it's, it's fueling your fire, you know, whether that's – I'm a big fan of doing side projects as, as an example. Something that will challenge you in a different way that will, will you know, assume that you're building a, a piece of software. Actually, use me as the example. I don't really build software anymore. We've got people who are better at it than me. Mm -hmm. But I decided to build the academy. I did that as a bit of a side project because this, this kind of guardian, it, it fuels your fire. It, it keeps you sane. It makes sure that actually, yeah, you still got the gumption to go and do this thing. So if you know that if all else fails, you can fall back on these skills that you've still got. You know, it's keeping your short sword sharp. It's making sure that 
you, you're still handy with a lightsaber sort of thing. It's that, that's the importance of these things, is making sure that you stay sharp. And it might be things like attend or speak at a conference, and it all goes wrong, you know, there's a total comedy of errors. And it's whether you turn around and go home or whether you persist and turn up at the conference and speak, you know, which everyone does. Mm-hmm. Everyone that turns up at these things wants to be there. So make sure that you're still doing it for the right reason, because if you want to get past this thing, for the same reason that you got past it five, ten years ago, then you know you're on the right track. But if, if things have changed, maybe you're not wanting to fight as hard. Maybe you're wanting to go a different way. Maybe you're wanting to turn back. You know, that's, that's a solid indicator that you've got to reassess things. That's, that's certainly the importance of them. It's just keeping you, giving you a short mm. sword sharp and making sure you're on the right track. That's interesting because, yeah, may, maybe they also, not only do they serve as a, you know, are you worthy to pass this way, but maybe also as a director of, you know, maybe you need to just adjust your path. Maybe you need to take off on this other side road. Yeah, exactly. You know, if, if that's the way you need to go, you know, we all pivot in, in, in certain things and at different times. Mm. Um, and it, there's nothing wrong with that. There's Interesting. Nothing, nothing wrong with that. Okay, so in closing, is there any advice for the listeners on how to create your best life story or a purposeful tip that you want to share or a quip we should remember? Something you want to leave us with. It's actually a quote, actually. I think it's William Henley Theroux, which is, uh, sorry, think like a man of action, act like a man of thought. I think you've got to Mm. act, you've got to move forward. And you've got to you've got to keep things going, you know, but you've got to do so in a mindful and purposeful way. That's that's definitely the takeaway. Awesome. Mark, thanks for being with us today. I appreciate you sharing your story and your insights along your hero's journey. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us today for a little dissection of a successful businessman's life story. Did you find parallels to your own story as you listened to him? Does hearing about the heralds in his story or his threshold guardians help you decide who yours are? I believe that understanding our own lives through the eyes of the hero's journey and the story archetypes helps give us a perspective shift that makes living and creating your story a little more fun and a little less serious. And in so doing, it opens doors for us to create life stories with a little more flair and bravado and fun. Have a great week this week. And your challenge is to consider your own formative life stories and see where they have taken you. Maybe some of them need to be reframed to help you get to a story you'd rather create. Or maybe you can just better understand your own crazy, messy, beautiful story and how those past stories have helped you create your forward-moving story. A couple reminders, www.loveyourstorypodcast.com. It has a copy of my free audiobook, The Key to Your Super Self, How Your Stories Unlock Your Superpower. You can also sign up for the 21-day challenge. Sign up and open the doors to three weeks of fun life hacks that will help you create more connection, more possibility, and more love in your life. It's guaranteed. Everyone who is involved is having a great time with a whole range of crazy, interesting experiences. So join us on the inside. You can find lots of information on it on, on the website. There's a, there's a whole page, so click on. There's a video that explains it. Um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. And we will see you next week. Have a great time out there creating your best life story.